Welcome to Worth, a platform for young people in tech to share their unique stories. In part two of this conversation with Sean Shu, we talk how he cultivates an information diet, what his day-to-day looks like at Floodgate now. We also get his perspective on the landscape of college entrepreneurship and why it's never been easier, in his opinion, to, to start something while you're young. And then you spoke to circles of confidence and kind of coming prepared, bringing yeah. data. Yeah. You certainly have a more nuanced perspective on the landscape of college entrepreneurship now sure. after being a dorm room fund. You wrote an awesome Medium article, which we'll link in the show notes again, um, about the landscape and aggregated a lot of data from both dorm room fund and rough draft ventures. For those that have not read it, are there any takeaways or pieces you want to highlight about the direction that you think that space is going? Yeah, definitely. And, and the article is also published in TechCrunch and very thankful and grateful for TechCrunch for Jonathan Cheever in particular for running that with me. I think that the thing that I've learned is that it's, there's never been a better time to build stuff while in school. So what I mean by that is, you know, when I was going to college, when I, when I was going to university, there were not this many resources. And when I say resources, I mean content online to help you think through the zero to one phase of company building, which is testing it inside and raising a bit of angel capital to help you test that inside and run that hypothesis. It's being part of a community of other entrepreneurs nationwide who are your age, who are also still in school, who can help you think through everything from making your first hire or contracting out some piece of your product to someone. That community didn't really exist while I was in, in school. And capital, there's tons of capital out now that specifically addresses student founders. So whether it's Dorm Room Fund, which is national coverage, Rough Route Ventures, which is national coverage, Contrary Capital, there's also new, some new funds out there. The MBA Fund's a great one that is 100% focused on giving pathways to students who have an interesting idea to run with. And a lot of universities as well are starting to think about building up their own program in-house to support entrepreneurship or even an in-house accelerator just look at Stanford and Berkeley, there's tons of them, right? I think that as a result, there really is no excuse. If you have a cool idea and you want to think about how to move forward with that idea, there is probably never been a better time to, to, to do all that. As well, if, if you're an operator and if you want to plug into early stage startups, there weren't that many opportunities when I was in school. All the job boards referenced jobs of Fortune 500 companies and those were the jobs that people wanted and people wanted to work at McKinsey or Goldman Sachs. And now... Not a day goes by where there's just so many job boards and so many internships, whether it's Kleiner Perkins Fellows or, you know, Greylock has a wonderful program uh, and EA has a wonderful program that, that helps you get plugged into startups in their portfolio companies. If you want to work for a Series A, Series B company and you want to intern for one of these companies, it's, it's much easier to do that. I think that it's only a good thing because it's funny, I was having coffee with a friend of mine today and, you know, we were saying your risk tolerance is going to be highest when you are a student and when you've just gotten out of school. And so the best time to go build something is now, not when you're 30, not when you're 35, not when you're 40, when you're tied down with a lot of these other obligations. It's when you're younger and you're 20s or when you're just out of school or still in school. So I encourage anyone and everyone to do that. So you wrote something on Medium about getting a foothold in the world of venture. Yeah. And there was a point that I found really interesting. I think it might be useful for other people to hear about it. You talked about cultivating an information diet. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Well, 
I think it's really important to to have different perspectives on the areas that you want to invest in. So what, all I mean by information diet is like, how do you uh, get smart on certain areas that you're excited about, right? So if you're a healthcare investor, who do you listen to and read and, and watch on TV or podcasts and books? What is the kind of information that you're ingesting that, and that gives you the informed view that you want? So when you walk into a founder, like that's the kind of um, worldview that you have. So when I say an information diet, let's take healthcare care, for example, like I think the smart thing to do is to find the five or six best healthcare angel investors out there in the world. And if they produce any content at, at all, right, whether it's podcasts or uh, blog posts or they have books out there, read it because you really want to get in their head uh, and you want to be able to understand how they think about the world. Because if they're very active angel investors, they should be probably pretty smart on the area. I would really find the two or three biggest blogs that talk about healthcare. So healthcare is amorphous, it's huge, right? We would want to narrow down to specific things, whether it's genomics or whether it's you know digital therapeutics and really drill down what are the best digital therapeutics blogs out there? Who writes about this stuff? What journalist writes about this stuff? And really regularly kind of scouring uh, the internet for content related to that subject. And so at any one given time, you're very fresh and up to date on all the people who are relevant to that subject, who are writing about that subject and getting smart on that. Um, and also getting recommendations from other people who are smart on the subject. Like what are the three books that I need to read to really understand the space, really understand how the space moves. So to be able to make predictions in the future about a particular space, I think you need to understand the history of it and understand who the right players are. So that's, that's really where I'm, I get my information diet. And the only thing I would add to that is beyond the people investing in the space and studying the space, people who are actively building stuff in the space. So that's founders, but also operators. So I imagine for healthcare, let's say, I would want to have had time with CEO of really interesting companies like Oscar or the head of innovation, or the VP of innovation at some of the big insurance players. I honestly don't know if those roles exist, but let's say that they do. Like those people are the ones that I want to make sure that I actually have had FaceTime with um, and to, to, to be able to absorb all the things they've been learning in the last, call it 18 months. And so then you are truly as in the know and as aware about what, what's happening as they are. And then I'm just curious about this because this is something yeah. Asher and I have talked about like yeah. just at a, a broader level. Do you think at all about consuming more content by books or podcasts or through Twitter at all, like on a daily basis? Yeah. Um, I would love to spend more time reading long form content. I used to love reading long form content. Something happened along the way in over the last 10 years where I've now uh, really adapted my information diet and flow into short form content. And so now I, I consume a lot of content through medium, through Twitter and through podcasts. I think that works for me just because I'm uh, time scarce. Uh, I would love to get back to a point where I'm reading um, a book a week. I need to just prioritize my time in a way where I can do that. But uh, I, I prefer to deep dive on subjects through books. This is an aspirational goal, but all of my partners at Floodgate make this work. I don't know how they do it. They are infinitely more busy than me, but they are reading uh, books left and right. And it's not a day goes by where someone just kind of says, Oh, have you read such and such book on such and such subject? No? Okay, grab it from my bookshelf, read it, come back and, and be more informed. And yeah, I consistently fail on that goal, but that's, that's how I think about it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what your day-to-day -day looks like at Floodgate right now and maybe what the, that culture is? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm super fortunate to be a Floodgate. The partners are legendary, right? And they've been investing for 12 years and they were, they're in some of the most iconic companies out there. You know, first check into Lyft and still on board there, Twitch, Twitter, Okta, so on and so forth. And it's been an amazing experience to see how these partners think about the world. And it's very, I don't want to say academic, but it's very much like digging into the insight of whether an idea uh, or a company built on a particular insight is, is the right company to build. So my day really looks like today, I, I'm essentially joining a lot of pitches with the partners, Mike and Arjun and Iris, and being a part of the conversations they have with founders. And so pretty unparalleled opportunity to just sit in and hear them hash out why a particular idea works. We talk about a lot of these mental models we have about why is now the right time to build a business? And what are these earned secrets that they have about proprietary insights that no one else has, but that they have? What is it about these particular founders that are exciting? And what are the moats, how they think about moats? It's just basically a new education itself. It is business school 2.0 and learning specifically about the craft of venture and startups and you know, just loving every single minute of it. It doesn't ever feel like work. It just feels like stuff I would do for free anyway. Yeah. And then based on what I know about venture, it sounds like you have a lot of very short meetings, but you need to get to the heart of what a founder is working on and also understand them at kind of a, a very psychological level, especially yeah. at like the pre-seed or seed stage. Yeah. How do you think about structuring your day or going about those types of conversations? I think that for me, and I think the partners would have some maybe different say about this, but there's always like, what is the thing that we just are betting on and we just don't know about? right? The uncertainty. And so I think about it in the sense of like, how good is this product? And part of that product is how good is the insight? Is it a thing that anyone else can build? And anyone else is already, th- like a bunch of people have already thought about it. I think about the market. Is it big enough? Can it really sustain a huge company? I think about, about the founder and the founding team and what they've done in the past that uh, makes me have conviction that they're going to be able to pull it off. I think a lot about the business model and whether or not there's proof here that there are real customers out there that want to buy their product and are desperate to buy the product as well. There is always at some point some open question where maybe it's an amazing team and the insight's really good, but like I really am unsure how big this market is. I'm really unsure whether customers have a high willingness to pay for these products. Maybe it's a fluke, their first couple customers. And that's where we need to really dig in. So preferably before the meeting, I try to read every deck and really understand, all right, what are my core questions for this company and spend the time that I have with each company asking those core questions. And if I still am pretty excited about it and still pretty sure that it's an interesting idea, um, I will do the diligence to call their customers or call references and really kind of understand and gut check uh, that maybe there's something here. That's how the general process is. Yeah. How do you think about different online communities of the future. And I know on Twitter, at least people talk a lot about like the unbundling of LinkedIn. Is that something that you think about or you believe in in any way? Yeah, I think I've actually met a couple companies trying to do this. I mean, you're talking to a power Reddit user. I love Reddit. I love everything about this product. And so actually when a founder came into me the other day and said, we want to really build Reddit, but like essentially LinkedIn and Reddit, right? Professional communities. Uh, I was really intrigued by this idea, like, should we unbundle Reddit? Does it really make sense to create separate, like, verticalized communities? Would that be something even that I would want to try? 
And the answer is, I, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't know the answer. I'm curious to meet founders who are trying. And I think that I am walking into these meetings generally pretty skeptical because I don't just say, well, why don't you just join this subreddit? <laughs> and maybe if the subreddit doesn't exist, then like, why don't you start a subreddit? You already get distribution immediately. But I'm genuinely curious if there's like other features that people want that are specific to a community that just makes a lot of sense for them to split off and create their own thing. Um, so if you've heard of me, please let me know and educate me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I love Reddit. There's just a subreddit for everything on every single corner of the internet. Like, right. If you're trying to learn about something, you could just find the subreddit, go to the, the top five posts from the past year and find some different jumping off points. Right. Learn. But I will say that uh, the thing that made me think about it for a second is there are whole subreddits apparently that are directing you to other subreddits. Yeah. And that tells me that there's maybe too many subreddits out there right now and it's just a little chaotic and messy. Does that mean that there should be entirely different products that are essentially Reddit for X? Yeah. I, I don't know, but I would love for LinkedIn to be structured a little bit more like Reddit where I can find like the startup subreddit or the venture subreddit and then have a dedicated conversation on LinkedIn there when I'm already in the mode of thinking about opportunities as a professional kind of a career building stuff. And so I think that like there is something there. I don't know how it actually materialized. Yeah. And I guess that's the idea that like something like LinkedIn is too, too big and too broad right now where you yourself have to go and do the work to filter down to the people that you are most interested in talking to and then the, the specific topics of interest that they might share with you. So, sure. Yeah. Then I guess right there you spoke to going into a meeting being skeptical. Is that a general approach or is that just what you need to do when you talk to so many founders on a daily basis? Not necessarily. Uh, most meetings I take, I'm pretty excited about the business, but there are some that I will walk in. It's interesting enough where I'm like, I really want to know more, but it's skeptical in the sense that like, all right, they, they need to come up with some crazy thing here that really convinces me about this. Right. And I think it, it, it's not that like I'm walking in with a no, I'm walking in with a, I'm really curious about how they're actually going to pitch this. And there are many times where founders come in and they say the right thing and they're just like, wow, this is actually really exciting when you, when you pitch it in that way. I think that like, if you take only meetings where you think is super exciting, then I'm pretty sure that means everyone else thinks is exciting. And if everyone thinks is exciting, then it's a consensus investment. And I think consensus investments are ones where you know, as Mike would say, like, we're not in the business of making these consensus investments. We're in the business of making non-consensus investments that everyone else is like, no way it would ever work. But it, you still have to be right. Yep. So. Yeah. Who are some people either personally or professionally that you look up to or you view as mentors? Well, definitely the first person that comes to mind is Eric, who I mentioned before. He's one of the co-founders of Bay's Impact. And he gave me my first ticket back to Silicon Valley and yeah. got me this opportunity to meet all these amazing people in, in my life that brought me back into startups and, and tech and venture. I think that he is one of the best founders I've ever met and is an exceptional operator and is also super, super humble. Like half the things that he's done, you will never talk about until someone like me brags about him. And, and so I think that he is a person that I really look up to. Another person would definitely be Jack Dorsey. You know, I didn't get an opportunity to work with him that closely, but the few times that I've been in the room with him and working with him on stuff, it's just, he's so mission driven and he cares so much about why a company should exist 
rather than just the company exists and let's grow at all costs. And so I've learned a lot from him about what it means to be a leader and also tactical things. I think when, when I'm in meetings with him, I remember he never was prescriptive about anything. Like he didn't say, this is wrong, this is right, this is the, what I think we should do here, this is what I think we should do here. He just asked questions. You know, he just said, do you think this is the right course of action here? Do you think this uh, market opportunity is big enough here that justifies this? And it brought the conversation to a point where it really made you really think about what the right answer should be. It wasn't accusatory. It, it was enabling and empowering, if anything. And, and that was everything. And so I've emulated that a lot, in, especially in dorm room fund meetings and, and other meetings I've had since, to be a little bit more Socratic. And I think it works. <laughs> I definitely appreciated that. That's a wonderful way for me to work with other people. Uh, other people that have really inspired me, I mean, the list literally goes on forever, but the partners at Floodgate, I have to give them a shout out just because they are incredible mentors. Mike Maples and Anne Mirko, who are both co-founding partners at Floodgate, are awesome. And I treat them a little bit like my crazy uncle and my tiger mom, who are really deep in venture and startups and really know everything. And they just teach me stuff every day about what it means to invest in great companies. Arjun Chopra and Iris Troy, too, are great partners who have really taught me what it means to be kind, awesome human beings to founders. And not every investor is that. But you know, it's like walking into a new family, honestly. And then we ask everyone on the podcast this, but are there any books or podcasts that have had a very large impact on your life or you find yourself recommending to friends very often? I think that, again, I had mentioned I love the internationalist perspective and geopolitics and foreign policy. And one of the authors that I enjoy reading is Parag Khanna, who is fortunate enough to um, uh, meet a couple times and has lectured with uh, the Water Institute a few times. But he has a number of books about 21st century geopolitics, globalization. He's probably one of the foremost experts on globalization in the world. He's a professor in Singapore today. Um, and he just reframes a lot of how do we redraw political borders? How do we redraw like what power looks like when we take into consideration things like the globalization effect, the internet, social media influence. I think that he has some of the more novel takes on geopolitics that I've read uh, in a while. And so I really enjoy him. I think that podcasts, uh, this is obviously biased, but my boss, Mike, has a new podcast out called Starting Greatness. And it's awesome because he basically is only talking about questions and problems in the zero to one phase of building a startup. And those are some of the most exciting conversations you'll ever have with other founders because every founder remembers what it took to go zero to one. And so he has these conversations with Andy Ratcliffe, who's co-founder of, uh, of Benchmark and Wealthfront and Steve Case and Instagram founders, um, Sarah Leary, like a number of really interesting founders. The, the episode in particular that I remember very clearly is this episode with Andy Ratcliffe. And they deep dive into what product market fit means. Andy coined the term, right? And philosophically thinking about like what it takes to have product market fit and have people be so excited that people are desperate to buy your product. And I, I found that to be very informative and actually changed the way that I took pitches and the questions I asked in pitches because it, it made me so appreciate what it means to build uh, something that gets you closer to one than closer to zero. So those are, I think, a couple, couple things I think that I've been listening to and reading. Yeah. Last question before I let you go. Sure. Are there any spaces you're super excited about or say you come into the office tomorrow morning what is an email from a founder that's working on a specific problem that you would love to get? Man, 
Um, so I didn't mention before, but I'm a caregiver for my dad. He's had Parkinson's for 10 years and a couple of years ago had a brain bleed that essentially was a stroke. And so he's been immobilized for several years now. And my brother and I and my mother take, uh, take care of him. And so navigating care for my dad has been uh, very eye-opening because it's so fundamentally broken. We struggle to pay for care, to give him the care he needs during the day. We, we totally revamped our living room into a medical suite, essentially. And I think about like, if we struggle as a family, we're pretty well off, right? How does the rest of America do this? I think a lot about how do we reduce the cost curve for elder care and how do we expand more offerings for care for these folks? Because this is gonna be a problem that we're gonna to have to face in our lifetime. And so to answer your question, if a founder came to me and said, hey, I have a way to make the cost for caregiving a 10th of what it is today, and I know how to do it profitably, I would take that meeting tomorrow, or today, right? Not tomorrow. And so I think that I care a lot about elder care, and I care a lot about products that tackle that problem. And I've been meeting a lot of them recently. That's awesome, yeah. I, I hope someone builds something great in that space because I think we need it. I mean, I certainly would use it as a consumer. Yeah. You know, my brother and I go back home to help my dad get out of bed at seven in the morning and back into bed at 10 o'clock at night. My mom can't ever leave the home, right? It's a problem when I think that there should be solutions out there that are able to, to help us solve this problem. So I think that I look forward to meeting people who can. Yeah. If you're out there working on this, how can people reach you? My email is out there, man. Sean at floodgate.com. Just send me a note anytime, anywhere. And uh, I will be happy to meet you. Yeah. Is there anywhere else people should reach out? Yeah. I check my DMs pretty frequently at Sean Chu. I've been very uh, pleasantly surprised by the kind of conversations I've had with folks on Twitter, people who DM me or people who are just part of the Twitter conversation about certain subjects as it relates to Silicon Valley startups. And I'm pretty, pretty active on there. Yeah. Sean, a thousand thanks for taking the time to come. Thank you. Appreciate it. This has been Ethan Lee Tyson with Worth. You can find show notes below or at worth.card.co. That's card with two R's. Thanks for your time.